As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? Jordan, we're doing well, and before we get into all this exciting draft talk, and I know there's a lot of things to talk about, some anxiety, some uh, things that Rams fans maybe are wondering about, I just wanted to share a good moment. And uh, I was I was watching. I've been trying to stay off of social media a bit more <laughs> recently, but but I was looking at some of the stuff that the Rams posted on uh, Saturday night at the end of their draft, and there was the video of uh, Les Snead calling Ernest Brown. And I, I'd encourage everybody after this podcast is over to go to go check that out. I'm sure you'd be able to find it. But the joy that was in that phone call when when Les Snead let him know that he was being drafted by the Rams. Uh, at number 174. It was like, I don't know why it it hit me, Jordan, but I guess it just, you know, after this whole year and, and everybody just going through their different things that they've been through, different challenges and, and all that, the, the the joy and excitement in that guy's voice and, and just the, the emotion that he had. I was like, wow, like that was really cool. So that was a great way for me to end the draft. I know I know you're still working uh, to, to try to get through all, all of your stuff, but uh, what a great moment that was. Yeah, I don't think I will ever in my life get tired of those little clip videos that show the prospects getting the call. Um, either the celebration video when they're sitting with their family and they watch on TV, their names get called or the, the actual call from the, the GM and the coaching staff. Like, I don't think I will ever get tired of that. That, that puts a feeling in my soul, like just really, really good stuff. I mean, it's, it's so think about how anxious you, you are. Like if we thought the draft was long (laughs) watching it, think about how anxious you are and how much you're trying to hold on to that hope of your purpose in life and your passion in life and you're sitting there on your couch and it's just agonizingly slow and you want to look at your phone but you don't want to look at your phone i mean it just must be an excruciating wait but then to finally get that call just the 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 release of that anxiety and that fear that maybe this won't happen for me and this this feeling of like i did this i worked so hard for this and i and i finally got it um 
I will never get tired of that. I love talking to these prospects. We'll get into the analysis of the draft itself, but I'm glad we're starting with this, Rich, because all these guys, talking to all these guys seem like genuinely good people and genuinely um, just so, and I I kind of make this as a joke because there are there are two earnests in this draft class, but this was an earnest draft class. <laughs> like it really was. And, um, and I just, I very much enjoy, this is my first draft covering the Rams. Um, and it was really a, a good experience. And I also wanted to thank everybody who f- kept with me through the, even on the first day, I was doing a bunch of our short form briefing in, in our live app for the athletic. And I did uh, the lead. I, I broke down the first round. If you guys haven't checked that out yet, the lead podcast and even people sticking with me without the Rams having a first round pick and um, staying with me through the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And obviously the trades and all of that. I just had a blast with you guys. And I just wanted to say thanks first and foremost, because I felt like you guys were all in my living room with me. Um, obviously the draft house was under a bit of a quarantine situation, <laughs> but uh, I felt like you guys were all with me in my living room watching with me, and I just really appreciated it. Uh, by the way, Jordan, I'm glad you mentioned that. H- happy anniversary. We are now coming up oh on your, your one year. Uh, well, you didn't make the move out to yeah, <laughs> Southern California for a little while, but it, it's we're coming up on the one year uh, anniversary of, of your move to the Rams beat. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks, Rich. I- I've had a blast. Um, like this has been a really great year of growth. Um, I think for for me professionally, in terms of sinking into this fan base and sinking into this, uh, all the nuances of this franchise. I don't recommend trying to do this job without having access in a pandemic. But at the same time, like I was so nervous to come out here, and like really hoped you all liked me. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I just want to be good at this. And uh, I'm trying to get better every day. And you guys have been really supportive in in that journey. So big thank you. I know we want to get to the draft stuff, but we sometimes wax poetic at the end. But now we are doing it at the beginning. So we just get it out of the way. We're still riding the high of those draft calls. So we just want to get it out of the way. <laughs> but let's start, Rich, let's start with the sort of let's set the scene here. So Les Snead yep. contracts covid um, I really felt bad for him on a human level because he he was really one of the more, I think, if you guys could see behind the scenes, like one of the more careful people through this entire pandemic of not only providing extra safety and security for empl- like his scout scouting staff and like his coaching staff and all of that um, and the people who are in the office every day, but also like himself and his family and Two, like two or three days before he's supposed to get his second shot, they plan the second shot to get after the draft because in case they felt those side effects that some people feel, you don't yeah. want to feel that while you're drafting. And I myself had a pretty gnarly experience with this with the second shot, but I'm so thrilled to have it have it over with, and it was so worth it to me. But um, but it was like you don't want to feel that while you're drafting. And then he he and McVeigh are a close contact from someone who tested positive. McVeigh tested negative and is and is good to go and will get his second vaccine. And less poor Les Snead tests positive on the on the last day of that sort of testing period. So is confined to his garage and barricaded by his by Kara Henderson Snead, his wife, <laughs> barricaded in the garage with a a wall composed of 
boxes of Topo Chico sparkling drink. And I found that to be hilarious. Obviously, he's feeling okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't be making light of it. But um, so it already started out in like a weird way. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so important for those guys. Like they had a whole plan, too. I mean, they they obviously had this. Yeah, they had a draft house ready to go and and they had a whole setup. And I mean, that's just from a practical standpoint. It's hard to be like, okay, guys, now we have to pivot. Uh, And fortunately, it was all set up. Les is, as we know (laughs) from having him on our our podcast just a few weeks ago, Les's Les's garage is a a media center. Um, So he's he's already set up there pretty well with all of his, you know, uh, iPads and, and, you know, everything is set up. That's where he did the draft from last year. So it's not like he has never done it from there before. But uh, but there is something there. I mean, they, they had a plan and I'm sure they had some communication that they set up and the way that they wanted to do things. And then all of a sudden, yeah, just two, two, three days before the draft. Uh oh, you know, we're going to have to completely change the the way that we that we do things. So I, I guess that's the one benefit of 2020 is that uh, they, they learned to be pretty flexible. But it, it seems like, Jordan, that everything went off uh, OK there. Right. I mean, they were able to do all their all their normal video conferencing and, and phone calls and everything like that. Hopefully less had enough sparkling water there to get him through <laughs> the, uh, the the three days. And uh, yeah, so I, I, you said it perfectly, Jordan. Glad he's okay. And, uh, you know, ha- glad for the Rams' sake that that didn't turn into a disaster. Yeah. And they had this contingency plan because obviously, like you mentioned, last year was completely, everyone was completely separated into their various homes. So they basically just mirrored what they had done last year with Les and gave him, you know, you have your your cell phone and then a backup hardline phone and then a backup phone to those two phones just in case. And then you've got like four monitors and then you're hardwired. They bring in the IT team brings in this like special internet for you <laughs> that is pretty much, first of all, it's like very secure. <laughs> Of course. And second right. of all, it's, um, it's it's not supposed to have any breakdowns. But if it does, you also ha- are hardwired in with Ethernet and various spots and, and all that. So there, there wasn't really a concern that that would. But doing it, like, I guess in hindsight, you know, not having a first round pick gave them time to get in the garage and actually set it up because it happened on Thursday. He tested positive and and obviously that's the morning of the first round. So they were scrambling. The IT department um, got a shout out from Les at the end of the draft because they really scrambled to get that all set up. And and they, from what I hear, it went, went off without a hitch. They were all, he and, he and Sean McVay are like on zoom the entire time talking back and forth and, they moved Sean McVay into Les's office in the draft house where the Roger Goodell portrait was <laughs> um, because, of course, you have to get that shot on TV. And sometimes this is just conspiracy on my end. Sometimes uh-huh. I felt they were waiting to let the broadcast catch up to their pick every once in a while um, so that they could get one of those shots. Uh, <laughs> that's yes. good. That's just good marketing for Rocket Mortgage, Mortgage who was <laughs> Picking up the bill. So, but of course, if you were following along on Twitter, uh, chances are you knew the pick in advance. So, um, yeah. Because so, Jordan was tipping them all. That's why. Yeah, you you were all over it. Well, I don't know yet if people are annoyed by that or not. I know sometimes, like I, I used to do that when I covered the Panthers, and then sometimes people would get annoyed, and I get it because you don't want to, maybe you don't want to spoil it or or what. But, um, but I was sort of like testing the waters with that. So you guys let me know if that was something 
you were into or not, <laughs> please let <laughs> th- me know. I'm always open great. to feedback and suggestions. But I thought um, it was great, especially when you get to the third day and the TV is so far behind. Oh my gosh, it's like, it come was on, so guys, slow. like you're, you're three picks crazy. behind. Like let's let's get on with it already. Yeah, but, it was driving me crazy. And the Rams yeah. were picking quickly too. Uh, at times, right. like I said, there was a bit of a lag at time. You, you know, sometimes when you're figuring out a trade partner and then. I really do think they were trying to get that room on the broadcast a couple of times. So, um, but okay, Rich, let's talk about this draft. So let me run through, I'm going to run through the draft picks really quick. And then maybe we can, maybe we can take a big picture look at sort of the themes of this draft class. And then we can maybe go pick by pick. And here's one thing we're not going to do. And Rich, I'm sorry if you were hoping to do this, but I am putting my foot down. We're not going to grade this draft class. I think, I think draft grades are, freaking pointless and I almost yes. swore just now like I think they're pointless <laughs> we we will not know especially we'll get to this but especially one of the themes of this draft class was was players who are with projected development when you're when you're picking where they picked particularly the bulk of your picks are in rounds four five and seven you are getting guys who are have development potential who are special teamers in the immediate and maybe one or two will crack um, some playing time but you really like grades are pointless at this at this point in time like we'll we'll go back in two years and grade this class but I'm not going to do that I'm not going to make any sweeping assumptions about this class but I really think it is interesting to dig into the analysis of it and impressions of it so um, if you're cool with that Rich uh, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. I, I feel the same way, and we won't get too deep into it. Yeah, but I, I know a lot of people look at the the quote-unquote big boards, and look, the people who do that are, are phenomenal. I'm not in any way detracting from what they do, but I think people also have to remember that NFL teams, the Rams, anybody do not dra- draft off of media big boards. So th- I mean, th- clearly, because they didn't pick a freaking lineman. <laughs> that's right. No, <laughs> no, we'll get into that. But yeah, I, I really have no interest, I'll be honest with you, I, I really have no interest in, you know, why did the Rams j- draft Joe Smith instead of John Doe in the fifth round? I like I have zero, zero interest in that. That will that will bear itself out, as you said, Jordan, over the next two or three years when we determine whether or not these picks turned into NFL players. Uh, now's not the time for that. But I do think there's some fascinating things with this draft, Jordan. You've already done a great job covering them online on uh, the athletic app and website with the with several stories that you've written over the last few days. But I know we want to touch on some of the big themes here and some of the big picks here. Yeah, so so let me run down this class really quick. So round two, pick 57, receiver 2-2 Atwell out of Louisville. Um, round three, pick 103, that's their comp pick, Ernest Jones, linebacker out of South Carolina. Then they trade back, well, we knew that they traded back from, from 88. They picked up uh, an extra fourth rounder. Um, okay, so... Round four, pick 117, Bobby Brown the third, defensive lineman out of Texas A&M. Um, round four, pick 130, Robert Rochelle, cornerback. The Rams list him as a defensive back. We'll get into why um, out of Central Arkansas. Um, round four, 141, Jacob Harris, tight end. And they correctly list him as a tight end. <laughs> um, he's out of UCF. Round five, pick 174, Ernest Brown the fourth. He's out of Northwestern. He's a defensive lineman. Jake Funk was their first seventh round pick at 233, and that was uh, also via trade. That was one that the ticker did not update, which drove some people crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. Running back out of Maryland. Round seven, pick 249, 
uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. He he can tell us how to how to say it. Lesnead and McVeigh didn't even uh, yeah. know how to say it. Um, ben Skoranek, he's the receiver slash tight end slash fullback out of Notre Dame. And at 252 was Chris Garrett, outside linebacker from Concordia St. Paul. So that's that's the big picture. Now, my first impression of this class is a lot of special teamers. A lot of not mm-hmm. not necessarily only special teamers. Because if you look at some of the athletic profiles on some of these guys, Robert Rochelle, I'm thinking of in particular, I'm thinking of Bobby Brown in particular. I'm thinking of Jacob Harris and Jake Funk and Ben Skoranek. They have athletic profiles. I mean, and what I mean by that is these scores and various accumulations of data, not only from their testing numbers, but also from some of the things that we talked about previously, the Rams acquiring things like GPS data and um, matching some of these data points to what they're seeing on film and physicality and things like that. Their athletic scores are really, really good. And to me, what that says is two things. One, I already had heard going into day three, and if you read my column about the lack of offensive linemen and sort of what's happening there, you know at this point that the Rams were really thinking about guys they liked a lot, first of all, and special teams guys who could immediately contribute on teams. That says to me, especially with Joe DeCamillis coming in, that Sean McVay was freaking pissed about how special teams went last year. Um, They brought in guys like Jacob Harris is going to immediately play on their coverage team. I would bet Jake Funk makes this roster as a special teamer. Um, You you know, your fourth corner, Robert Rochelle, he's going to play on special teams. You know, these guys who can can come in and lend a physical hyper-athletic presence on the special teams unit, um, complement, you know, some of their punt coverage complement some of their their um, like kick blocking units and things like that. Jacob Harris has got a wide wingspan in that regard. And these guys also, though, the other thing it tells me is that they really believe that they can develop these guys into actual role players on the offense or defense. Robert Rochelle has a lot of versatility in coverage. Um, he has a lot of versatility in position, and that's exactly what I believe they were looking for, especially after losing Troy Hill in free agency. Jacob Harris, if this guy can get his football technique going a little bit, like he used to be a soccer player and he's relatively raw. He's, he was described to me by a Ram source as like a complete project offensively, but also right. was their number one ranked special teamer. If Jacob Harris, who is 6'5 and 211 pounds and ran like a 4440 or something similar to that and I was looking at his RAS and it's it's bonkers <laughs> if this guy can can work into outside receiving roles and if he can he can align in a variety of spots as a tight end even on the perimeter and Matthew Stafford starts to develop a rapport with him I mean that could be really, really interesting, and he could be very, very good. So they're really depending not just on these guys contributing immediately on special teams in a positive way, but they're they're betting on some of the predictive modeling and the athletic projections um, that their data team and their team of analysts um, were able to match with some of these traits. And, and Les Snead shouted out the quote-unquote nerd's nest. Sarah Bailey leads that group um, internally. Yeah. And these are the people that are matching 
these athletic traits and some of these profile, these data points with what they believe that these players can ultimately accomplish within their system. And I think that that was sort of the theme of this draft, because, again, the bulk of their picks are rounds four through seven. So that's where you have to really try to um, find this type of player, in my opinion. Right, exactly, and uh, you took the words out of my mouth there. That w- that was one thing that I saw, you know, online during the during the draft, and people, you know, I know we're going to get into the offensive line thing, and you, you wrote about it so brilliantly already, but we we can dissect that a little bit more. But you know, as we got into the you know fifth, sixth, well, they didn't have six, but seventh round, like you said, the, the last half of the draft, basically, you you're not going to you're not necessarily identifying starters at that point. Um, and that's why a lot of people, and I know Jordan, your, your Twitter mentions and things like that. Every time the Rams would make a, a late fifth round pick or a seventh round pick, how come they didn't take a center? How come they, you know, it's like, well, you're not at that point, you're not drafting a starting center. Most, most likely you're not drafting a starting edge rusher. You, you are looking for these guys who uh, have high ceilings, who can contribute right away on special teams. It just so happened the way that things shake out. I mean, the Rams end up making six, uh, excuse me, they make a, end up making nine picks total and six of them are basically in the second half of the draft. I think there were 260 picks somewhere along there in, in the draft and and half of, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I'm so bad at math, six of them, six of the nine are are 130 or after. So you're, the bulk of your class is coming in the back half of the draft and, and that's where you're going to get these guys and those are the kind of guys that you should target. Jordan, to your point about the special teams, I couldn't agree more. And and we've seen that slide uh, over the last couple of years, even going back to, to John Fossil's last year uh, in, in 2019, where it started to slip. And then obviously last year uh, was not up to the standards that the Rams had set. So we wondered about that. Obviously, there's been coaching changes. Now, now the Rams are going to be on their third special teams coach in three years. Uh, you wonder about the personnel too, and, and and I think that's what happens when you, when you get into situations like the Rams have been in uh, over the last couple of years, where you know your your salary cap gets tighter, you have to make tougher decisions on certain guys, you can't bring guys back, or guys who had been able to focus on special teams exclusively are thrust into bigger roles, and they do have to become starters and and play a lot more snaps. Uh, on offense or defense, so they don't get to focus quite as much on on special teams. So I, I do think the Rams took took a little bit of a hit there in terms of of personnel. So I absolutely agree that I, I think this was a dedicated kind of uh, you know targeted uh, approach in terms of bringing in some of these very very athletic uh, high ceiling guys who maybe aren't quite ready to step into their their native positions just yet, but but they can come in right away with their skill sets and and play special teams. So I, I think those were good picks. Uh, they're not the most exciting picks. <laughs> you know, they're not guys who you're probably going to see on the field making tackles and making catches. You know, straight away. But but they certainly can have an impact on the team uh, in short order. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm, you know, I look at some of these guys and I think there's an instant reaction sometimes when you see Jacob Harris get picked, for example, and you think, oh, let me correct this. I don't think this. I see it right. <laughs> on Twitter. People will say, oh, that means that Bryson Hopkins didn't work out there admitting a wrong and drafting Bryson Hopkins last year who didn't play all last year. No, that is not the case. Okay. Uh, ben Skronik, you know, oh, drafting him means that you're admitting the Van Jefferson pick didn't work out. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> not it at all. Right. These guys all, first of all, do different things. And I think one of the complaints that I would say, going back and, and reviewing some of the Rams season last year, is that sometimes there were two similar of skill sets all on the field at the same time. With yeah. the Rams receivers, part of that, as we know, uh, they had to somewhat simplify their their offense a little bit. There were a lot of turnover issues that le- led to that. Um, there were some, maybe I would say, we don't need to rehash the entire thing, but some communication errors and, and incontinuity in, in the communication um, that, that maybe also played a role in that. We're into 2021 now, so we don't need to rehash all of that. Right. But there, this was a clear effort, and, and all the way up with Tutu Atwell, which we'll get to pick by pick in a minute, but they're adding different types of guys. And also, further, Jacob Harris and Ben Skronik are not going to have like a featured role in the offense in 2021. But right. what happens after you may or may not be able to retain Tyler Higby after this next contract is up. What happens after, you know, you start to, um, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup start to play out the rest of their contracts? Um, what happens in the long term? So you're always trying to draft not only people who can work in a complementary way, not necessarily in the short term, but in the long term. And so I could see Jacob Harris and Bryson Hopkins on the field at the same time. I could see um, Bryson Hopkins being a contested catch guy this upcoming season, and I think the Rams are hoping that he can develop into that, especially him, him also coming in as such a raw prospect. I think that they could see Ben Skronik not just as a red zone threat, a big-bodied receiver who's very physical at the catch point, who just literally likes to pop people, and but I can see them lining him up at freaking fullback. Like <laughs> this is how you have to sort of approach this concept of some of these complementary players. Is like just because they come in and are called one position doesn't mean that they um, are making a statement about previous picks or are also going to stay at that position. I think we have to look at what these guys want to do with their receivers as a very, very fluid construct. Um, and you've seen that with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup for years, how they've been cool with them being co-number one receivers. And now I think when they bring in this group of 
very guys who do very different things, but also offer hyper athleticism at their respective roles, what Les Snead calls their respective superpowers. They're not trying to ask him to do everything. They ask Cooper Cup and Robert Woods to do almost everything. They're going to probably ask Van Jefferson to do almost everything. But the things that they cannot do, they also have to bring in people who can do those things. Um, right. Go up and high point a, a catch. I'm not saying that it's impossible for these other guys to do it, but it's just a more natural trait for ultimately in the long term, perhaps a Jacob Harris, a Bryson Hopkins, a red zone threat, a big bodied like I'm going to put you in the dirt receiver like that's maybe more Ben Skronik's skill set, right? Who also, by the way, I loved when they lined Gerald Everett up at fullback, and maybe that's the guy who does it this year. It's not like how the various people fit, fit in together. It's about how the various traits fit in and rotate around. And that's something that I think Sean McVay was pushing for very hard is not being as like, even if you're maybe two-dimensional last year, being four, five, and six-dimensional this year with all of the different traits that you can have on the field, especially understanding that Matthew Stafford is expected to always have and, and be able to activate well and consistently those five eligible receivers. Yeah, I, I look when when we start getting into some of these individual uh, picks, like I, I have issues on a, on a couple of them yeah. just with the decisions that they made. But but in general, I understand their their idea. Um, and I, I think I can separate those two. I, I can look at it kind of objectively and say, okay, I, I see what the Rams were doing here. Um, I don't necessarily think it was 100% the correct approach. And I, I don't know whether it will, it will you know, turn out that way. Uh, but I, I think they had a plan and I think they executed their plan well. Uh, we can we can argue about whether or not their plan was wise, or you know whether they should have taken a slightly different approach. But when when you when you line up their their picks and you you look at them, it makes sense um, if, in terms of what they wanted to do. I don't think they were just kind of you know willy nilly like oh we'll grab this guy, we'll grab that guy, that guy looks okay, yeah he's next on the list, so we'll take him. I, th- I think you can see kind of what the plan was here and and how they wanted all this to come together and. Uh, I, I bet if you talk to Les and Sean or, you know, all those guys, they, they would probably be pretty happy in terms of how they executed their plan. Now, when we get into the nitty gritty and we can pivot to the offensive line whenever you want, Jordan, because I know it's what everybody, you know, wants to talk about. <laughs> now, again, we, we can we can argue about whether or not it was the right plan, but I think they had a strategy. I think they stuck to it and you can't argue with it. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think they had a plan. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is accurate because when I'm, you know, texting with people entering into day three, there really was a consistent message that was like, you know what, we might not come away with an offensive lineman, which floored me to hear. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) you know, okay. And, and here's the thing. And I hope you guys go read my column over at The Athletic. It posted on Saturday. I know I hope you guys were out enjoying the sunshine and get some good weather across the country here on Saturday. Um, But if you missed that column, I I urge you to go read it because it, I think, explains a lot about sort of this gamble that they're taking on the offensive line. And so the thing that surprised me about this draft class was that they did not take an offensive line. But here's the thing. I didn't expect them necessarily to pick an offensive lineman with their top two picks. And right. or if they traded back, which was sort of an inevitability because they entered the draft only with six picks. The thing that I thought they would do that I really emphasized in this column 
was I thought they would at least add a long-term guy. If they're looking and they're okay and they're saying to me, we want to add developmental prospects with high upside, why aren't you doing that with your offensive line as well? Right. That's that's my one issue because you brought in Tremaine Ancrum, who I think is going to be an awesome player. Um, you brought him in last year. Other than that, the past two drafts, that he's the only guy you've drafted. And right. I think there's some promising guys in their UDFA class. They're bringing in um, Jordan Meredith, the center out of Western Kentucky, and then um, Alaric Jackson, the the tackle out of Iowa, who analysts are mixed on, but um, I think is you know is a pro- like they're both promising guys. But in terms of the draft itself and and utilizing where you could have gotten a really good center even into the fourth round and and they actively passed on a couple of guys at the higher picks and opted for going in a different direction with Tutu and with Ernest Jones, those are the ones that I think will be studied in the coming years. Because, because here's the thing, I'm not knocking how the offensive line played last year. I thought they were fine. And and some guys showed pro- some real promise, and they were able, even with Andrew Whitworth um, suffering the injury, they were able, for the most part, to keep it together. And I thought that was, you know, when you lose your heart and soul player like that, I think that's impressive. Um, obviously, losing Austin Blythe uh, not only was, you know, the, their slightly higher offer um, to him in free agency not enough to keep him around. Um, you know, he he went to Kansas City on a slightly cheaper deal. And so at this point, they were faced with either picking a guy in the draft, which, again, even if you pick a guy in the draft, it it was it was never implied that this guy would automatically be the starting player in 2021. Usually you need like a year at least, even if you're a really good prospect. I, I'd say there are some outliers, like Quentin Nelson obviously being an outlier in some centers. And But this, are, this is a really hard position, and there's a lot of nuance to it, right? So on the one hand, like, yeah, you're probably redshirting a guy. But if you're okay with redshirting all of these other prospects that you drafted down the line with with high, you know, projectability – then why weren't you okay with also doing that with an offensive lineman in what was widely regarded from not just from media, from actual scouts and analysts of, f- on teams across the league, widely regarded as one of the deeper and more talented offensive line classes um, following up a really strong class last year in which they also only picked one person. And so I think the thing that I take issue with is not like the fact that they're going to move their offensive line around. They, that was a foregone conclusion the second that they knew that they were losing Austin Blythe. And also, and you'll read this in my column, as they decided that Sean McVay wants to go, he wants to keep his you know similar outside zone traits, and we know that's his trademark, but he wants to add a little more power and a little more grunt trench work there. And so you're going to probably size up a little bit at center, right? As of now, this is my understanding of the situation as of now, and obviously things can change, but as of now, they're moving Austin Corbett over to play center, okay? Well, that creates two question marks. One, at center, because Austin Corbett is going to be new in that position, has never played a snap at center for the Rams, and in fact, they did not want him to be their center to the point where they played Austin Blythe over him back when Blythe came in, and Austin Corbett was regarded as a very good guard and so was playing there and starting there and had a very good year there. So now you're creating a question mark by moving him over and he's bigger body, he's very physical. So I think that sort of fits the the mold of what they're trying to do scheme wise. 
but also you're creating another question mark at his former position. So when we talk, when Sean McVay talks about like winning the math, quote unquote, well, now you're creating a a problem in the math because you're, you're taking with one decision, you're creating two questions and you know, they're slating at the moment, Bobby Evans, who I, I really like as a player, they're slating him in at, at right guard and, and that's fine. And these guys have at least all been in the room together for a, a year at least. So that's fine. But again, if you say, and you come out in the media and you say multiple times that you don't think you have any needs, that automatically points to you're going to draft the players you like and players for the future. If you really believe you don't have any needs, then you draft for the future. Well, they didn't at, on their offensive line. I don't think a center would have come in and played for them anyway This in this upcoming year, in this upcoming right. season. The, the idea was always that a redshirt player could develop into a longer-term center or even answer questions at left tackle following this year, answer questions at right tackle maybe following this year, but they didn't. So they kind of walked back on their own logic there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. And it's... Um... You know, we're going to start bleeding over into talking about some of these individual picks, but but that's okay because uh, I think there is some some crossover here. But but the thing that I look at, Jordan, is is well, a couple of things. One of them is just that that position is so important. All five positions, that the whole offensive line, so so important. And it's like I look at it in in you know like college football recruiting, kind of in the same vein. Like I don't think you can ever recruit enough offensive linemen. Like even if, you know, knowing that some of them aren't going to pan out, you're going to have injuries, whatever it may be. It's almost like you stock them up. You cannot have too many uh, talented options on your offensive line. And I think you saw the Rams do that. You know, going back to 2017, 2018, they had arguably the best offensive line in the NFL, certainly one of the best. And what did they do? They kept adding to that. You know, 2018, they, they drafted Joe Noteboom. They drafted Brian Allen. In 2019, they drafted David Edwards. They drafted Bobby Evans. Uh, did they need those guys right then? No. Did they some need of them, them now. <laughs> they need they need them now. But this is a constant kind of you know uh, churn almost because things are going to happen. Uh, Austin Blythe is going to walk away. Andrew Whitworth, one of these decades, eventually is going to retire. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt. I mean these these things are going to happen, and you, and you need that churn uh, of offensive linemen to to kind of keep you going. And, and as you said, Jordan, this is now the second consecutive draft where they don't address it. I mean, no disrespect to Tremaine Ingram, but that's a late seventh round pick that they that they use on him. So so they certainly are not using any of their top their top capital on offensive linemen. And I just think that's a that's it's risky. I don't think you can I don't think you can get around that. It is a risky strategy uh, to do that. Now I understand, and I, your column is fantastic, and and I read through all the quotes uh, from from Saturday. I will I will certainly concede and agree with the Rams that they have a lot of options right now. Okay, sure. you you look at the uh, essentially the eleven offensive linemen who they have: uh, Andrew Whitworth, Joe Noteboom, David Edwards, Brian Allen, Austin Corbett. Rob Havenstein, Bobby Evans, those guys have all been starters um, and and all at, at different times, different positions have played well. Um, so I understand how the Rams would look at that and say, hey, you know what, why do, we, why do we need to spend draft capital when we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who have experience starting in the NFL 
and who can fill these jobs. We don't need to address that with the draft right now. Okay, yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that as a, as a good point. Uh, but also, you've got to look down the line a little bit. So, so what do you do? Like, what ha- you're, you're constantly betting on Andrew Whitworth uh, staying healthy and, and staying productive uh, or, or still playing. And we don't know what's going to happen beyond that. So could they have used one of those picks to, to draft a tackle? Could they have used one of them uh, as a center in, in the long term in case something doesn't uh, happen? And, and that's kind of where I, when we talk about right. the the strategy and such like and I don't if, if we if we're going too early on this you can you can pump the brakes on me Jordan but like that's where I look at the you know the pick like Tutu Atwell or even the the fourth round pick like you know Jacob Harris I'm like okay these are Tutu I, I understand like the Rams really thought they need somebody who, that's that's going to complete their offense they, they need that skill set uh, whatever. But then you look at some of those mid-round picks and I'm like, okay, Jacob Harris, like we just talked about how important that was, you know, what, what, everything that he's able to do. But essentially that's a luxury pick. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a guy who you're looking at going, wow, we really like this guy. We are, we are really in love with this skill set, and we, we, what kind of things could he do? Okay. But know that you're doing that rather than using that pick kind of a little bit more practically maybe and saying like, Hey, what if we got a depth tackle in that position? Or what if we got a depth center in case things don't quite work out with, with one or two of the guys that we have here? I thought it was just a little bit of, I don't know. I don't want to use the wrong word here, but almost like a little bit of hubris. Like, hey, we are so confident in uh, in our offensive linemen that that we're going to start picking an, another tight end, or we're going to start picking, you know, whatever whatever you think Ben Skrowanik is. Like, <laughs> we're going to take that because uh, because we're so confident in what we have now. That's their gamble, and I respect the Rams for that. And they've obviously put a lot of thought into that and uh, done a lot of uh, self analysis and self scouting of their own guys. I think they're doing it fully informed uh, with with what they've got. I just happen to think it's it's quite a gamble. You know, I don't doubt that they're all smarter than me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not saying I, you know they're they are all smarter than me and better at their job than I would be at their job. Like that's yeah. that's a given. Yeah. Here here's what I here's what I think about Rich and brace yourself because a metaphor is coming. Okay. So first of all, they've got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven contracts coming up by 2023. And three of them, Austin Corbett, Joe Noteboom, and Brian Allen, are coming up in 2022. Those guys are free agents in 2022. Right. 2023, Rob Havenstein, Andrew Whitworth, Bobby Evans, and David Edwards are free agents. Jamil Denby and Coleman Shelton are restricted free agents, which is fine. You can slap a tender on them. Chandler Brewer is an exclusive rights free agent, which is a lot safer Um, you know, you can just, you can tender him, but the other guys, those seven contracts, those are important. Those are coming up and you, and, and you combine that with the understanding that you don't have a first round pick until 2023, um, which is where you would, if you desperately needed a lineman, that's where you would find one who could start for you. Otherwise you depend on drafting a lineman either last year or this year in the middle rounds and developing him so that ultimately he can take over for one of these guys. If you stash him fine on the practice squad, fine. Like I said, I think Tremaine Ancrum is going to be a good player. So, so they have him and that's good. It's, it's kind of how rich, when I first moved to Southern California, I forgot one important thing that I should have remembered. And that is that in the summer, 
the ants come. And I had a, I had a bit of an issue this year with with ants because uh, there was some construction across from where I lived, and a bunch of dirt was moving, and the dirt on which I lived was still, and so they all thought, "Hell yeah, man, let's come let's come on over there." Right. So here was my issue. By the time they got in the house, it was too late. I was right. constantly constantly battling back legions of ants thousands of them it was it was a nightmare you guys <laughs> like constantly battling them back because i did not have the proper tools to prevent them from getting in the house when i moved in i just left it alone and thought oh it's just one or two it should be fine i'll 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 go tomorrow to the store and get some traps whatever get some dio di- i can never say it diometaceous earth and put it down, that'll be fine. And I didn't get rid of those bastards until November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's exactly. what I'm saying. If yeah. you wait, if you wait too long, it is too late. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's exactly right. And that's why this is a it, it's it's a exercise in, in projection a lot of times. Again, they didn't when they drafted Bobby Evans, David Edwards. Uh, those guys, it, it wasn't so that they were going to step in at, in that moment. It was so that they would step in right now. And so you have to, then you have to look at it and go, okay, well, what happens? What happens when Whitworth does retire? What happens when one of these guys does leave as a free agent or, you know, heaven forbid, suffers some real serious knee injury or something like that? Um, then you're suddenly looking at it and then you are putting yourself in a position where you have to draft somebody uh, and, and plug them in right away. And that's not really what you want to do. You, you don't want to do that. And the Rams don't have to do that right now because they do have that depth. But again, exactly what you're saying, Jordan, 20 2022, 23, when some of these guys, you know, retire, move on, whatever happens, you've got to have those guys waiting in the wings. And and the Rams for the last two years now have not drafted and developed those guys. So it puts a lot of pressure. This is going to be a huge season for, well, obviously for Austin Corbett, like you said, moving to Mm -hmm. center, spotlight on him. Uh, David Edwards, Bobby Evans stepping back into that role. Even Joe Noteboom probably going to have to be a you know a swing player and 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 get into the the lineup here and there. These guys are going to have to hit. They are going to have to play well uh, because if they don't, there's there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of backup there. There's not a lot of depth there, and and there's there's obviously no draft picks coming along who can who can develop into those roles. So again, big gamble. New first-year offensive coordinator, uh, excuse me, uh, offensive line coach. Um, maybe, like you said, Jordan, a little bit of a re-emphasis or a, you know refocus on how they want those guys to play. Uh, I'm certain again that the Rams have a plan, but uh, hmm, it's going to be very, very interesting. Oh yeah, and by the way, you just invested in a quarterback who has been right just beat to crap in right, Detroit, right. and maybe perhaps. He would, he will thrive in a little bit calmer waters over here. Like he was already very good, even when taking the hits that he took in Detroit. Right. And, you know, maybe you want to have a safer environment if you want to, like you said, when Les was on the podcast with us, like you said, have him for like maybe five years, you know, maybe you want to keep him safe. Okay, and I and I'm not saying these guys couldn't. I thought they played fine last year and and very good, in fact, in some yeah. areas. And their run blocking very much improved by the end, and especially up with the emergence of of Cam Akers and their sort of rapport between him and and the line was just a joy to watch. It was very cool to see that. 
Um, and, and I, you know, we can obviously also rehash old stuff about the quarterback sometimes not helping the line, the line sometimes not helping matching maybe the style that the quarterback was playing in. Right. Yeah, we could rehash all of that. I thought they were fine last year. In fact, sometimes very good. Every line has their moments that are very good and very bad. I thought they, they kept those outliers usually right about the middle. So I thought they were pretty, I thought they were pretty damn good. And yeah. And so that's not – I'm not knocking these guys that they currently have. And that was something that I think some of the people who were commenting on my column were confused about is like I'm not knocking how they played or how they could potentially be pretty good next year. I'm more concerned that if you think that you're trying to keep this quarterback who you want to win a Super Bowl with and you've made it clear that you pushed all your chips in on that for, you don't want your weak spot to be the guys protecting him two years from now. You know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of what I think. But um, yeah. yeah, it was it was fun though. Like you know, the, I was I was uh, I was riding that wave with Rams Twitter. I was like, are they really not going to do this? <laughs> Which and then you know and and, and and talking to some people when um, when it came time you know for day three, I was like, they really might they really might leave this uh, this draft without an offensive lineman, but. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out. Um it's a it's a bit of a gamble, but again, we're we're just going to have to wait and see how it turns out. In the meantime, I'd like to know your thoughts on how where they went at number 57 with with Tutu Atwell. Yeah. Um <laughs> Oh good. This is this <laughs> I heard a little bit of a sigh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look, I, I, I'm of a couple of minds on on this one, and and if you you know go back to some of our previous podcasts, um, I, I think this is the kind of player that they needed, and and we even kind of joked about it. I know at one point how like they they need a new Tavon Austin. Um, I, I think I even said that at one point. You know, not not the player, but the the, the skill set. And and when you look at uh, what Tutu Atwell brings, um, he certainly has that kind of skill set. I mean, the speed is off the charts. The uh, you know the the things that they're going to be able to do and and line him up. And I, I, I'm certain that you know Sean McVay is probably sitting. I don't know. I don't know whether he's still in the Malibu Draft House. He probably still is. He's you know he's probably just you know enjoying his last few a uh, few hours there. But wherever he is, I, I'm sure he's drawing up you know plays and schemes right now for how he can use Tutu Atwell. So I understand it and and I thought it was a, a, a something that the Rams needed to address so it's it's hard for me to knock it I, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite for all of those reasons but I just number 57 was a little high for me to, to for that for that skill set for that pick um, to come in and it didn't really surprise me like I know how focused the Rams are on fixing this offense. So I I, I understand it. Uh, it. It is very important for all the reasons that you just mentioned also. I mean, this is Matthew Stafford. You, for however many years he's going to be there, two, three, four years, whatever, uh, they, they've got to get this offense right around him. And and I think they do needed to, they did need to add to that mix at receiver and, and bring in that kind of uh, skill set there. But wow, I, I was just a little surprised that uh, when, when you don't have very many high picks at all, and, and I use high picks in, in the less need uh, vein, uh, with, with second and third round still being high picks, I will, that's my nod uh, to less need. Uh, and when when you only have a, a few of those, I'm just a little bit surprised that you use one of those on a guy like that. When I was thinking it through in my head, I thought, 
that kind of seems like either a late third round or a fourth round pick where you target somebody like that. Uh, but the Rams went all in with uh, in, in filling that that void with Tutu Atwell. Yeah, there are a couple things I like and a couple of things I dislike about this pick. And one thing that it really reminded me was that our projections and our boards are often like very different from what they're thinking internally. Um, because I think, you know, for us, we see him and we think, okay, this is kind of a reach. Uh, the the gap between where he went and where he was projected by many external people was was large. But at, at the same time, internally, Sean McVay thinks he's Deshaun Jackson. So in Sean McVay's mind, knowing the experience that he had early in, earlier in Deshaun Jackson's career in Washington when they were putting up some serious numbers and doing all kinds of things, both as a receiver and a gadget player, to me, that's like a, a an emotional pick. And I'm not saying emotional like he jumped the gun or anything like that, but like he, right, he right. has a prior body of experience with a player who he thinks compares favorably to this this other player that he had a lot of success with. So I get it from that perspective. I, like I think everybody else, um, have concerns about his frame. Um, I have right. concerns about him getting hit uh, at, hundred what, 155 pounds. Hilariously, when you look at the Rams logging of him in their system, they list him at 165. He is not. <laughs> right. um, so, and they also list him at 5'9", and like, okay, then I'm, then I'm seven feet tall. Um, right. You know, so <laughs> it's like, let's take it with a grain of salt. Um, right. But I think I what I really do like about picking a player like Tutu, and maybe not necessarily at this pick point, although again, if they think that he's going to far like outperform even being a a pick at this pick point, then then okay, maybe they don't think it's a reach or maybe they think someone else is going to come get him. Um, maybe they even tried to trade down here. They ended up trading down at 88, which they were going to at some point on day two. Um, maybe they tried to trade down and, and couldn't. Um, maybe they, uh, maybe they just thought someone else was going to get them and they couldn't wait till 88 and they didn't want to trade up because at the time they didn't have any picks. So, you know, it, I, I could get why it would happen. Right. Um, what I like about him is that he is just an insane athlete. Like he, you just can't blink one time if he's on the field because you're going to lose him at that point. So he'll get behind defenses just fine. Um, he will be able to put the, like I said, in one of my, my write-ups, I said, he's going to put the jet in jet sweep. Like that's so lame, but whatever I wrote it, it's out in the universe. Um, but yeah, he's really very freaking fast and he's going to be used. I think something that we need to consider is Sean McVay was one of the leaders in at snap motions, not just pre-snap, but at snap motions, um, in the league last year and, and other teams are gravitating toward that. So what that does is that, forces a the middle part of the field to spread out. So even if you're using him in at snap motion work as sort of a decoy, you're opening up and widening the space for which Robert Woods and Cooper Cup could navigate through that space and increasing the opportunities of maybe single coverage for them so that they can maybe then shed and get downfield a little bit more. So you're using him not just as a player who you hope can get vertical, but also as somebody who can open up other things for you obviously as a vertical threat, forcing the defense to play off you a little bit, but then also on some of these motions and sweeps, 
um, and reverses, you're you're forcing things to spread wider so that the middle of the field is open for your co-number one receivers a little bit more, and you're you're doing favorable matchups for them because someone's got to follow Tutu. Otherwise, he is gone. So I think that that's something really important about bringing in this type of player. We can argue about the pick point until, you know, the ants come back to my house this summer. But like we like really it's it happened. Right. So for that this purpose, the ways in which they are expecting to use him, I think, are notable. And it's someone that they were missing because and and Robert Woods is like one of the most fun receivers I've ever watched. Um, but I don't think he's the same type of threat on a jet sweep or a reverse that Tutu will be in terms of stretching guys wider and forcing things to expand, sort of um, bubble outward so that Cooper Cup and Robert Woods can kind of get shit done in the middle. So I think that that's going to be really interesting. I I asked Sean McVay about whether he's going to compete at kick return because I think if you bring in a wide receiver 4B like this, um, you need to at least have him in the mix for the competition. And I think they're going to at least try. I don't know if it'll stick. I don't know if it'll stick, but I think they're going to at least try. Um, again, I worry about his frame in that regard because that's like one of the more physical parts of the game is when, um, you know, 11 players are running full speed at you. Um, but, but I, so I think they're going to at least try it out. Um, and then also, Rich, it can't be understated the, the impact of, what if Deshaun Jackson does not make it through a season healthy like he hasn't the last two years? And the Rams clearly don't aren't completely secure in that because look at his contract. If you pull out his contract, it's so incentive heavy by injury, by health, by game that they clearly are trying to give themselves security, not only there, but also with this pick. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and it, it all fits in. I did not expect when they when they just, when they signed Deshaun Jackson, I did not think, oh, there it is. That's the answer. That's their deep threat. I I think they was a little bit of a flyer. Uh, they gave him pretty good money, but to me, it was hey, you know, if this guy works out, then awesome. But I absolutely expected them to complement that with with something in the draft. And again, like you said, you know, we can we can debate the pick point uh, for eternity. That I was a little bit surprised by it, by. But by no means was I surprised that they added a player like that. And by no means was I surprised that Sean McVay would want to bring that element to his offense. It makes complete sense to me. Um, and the only thing they'll be left to be determined is whether or not it was the right player or whether or not it was the right spot. So like you said, that's going to take a little bit of time to uh, to play out. But it was obviously something that Sean McVay and, and the Rams did not think they could wait uh, to prioritize. They wanted to go out right away and and fill that need, and and they think they uh, they think they were able to do it. So we we have to <laughs> we yeah. have to think that, uh, that that's true. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little I'm a little rosier about the next uh, the next couple picks here, Jordan. Yeah, I think they're you know Ernest Jones. Let's talk about Ernest Jones. So yeah. okay, so they trade back, right? So they trade back eighty eight. They trade it to San Francisco. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which I still don't. I mean, whatever. They picked it up, so fine. Um, for 117 and 121. So they trade with a division rival, um, which, like, when I asked Sneed about it, he seemed, like, kind of surprised that I even asked why he would do that. Yeah. But, um, okay, let's. so they did that. So they, they needed to make at least one trade. Um, in this in, on day two because they needed to add these picks on in rounds four through seven on day three with their 103rd pick, which is that comp pick that they got. Um, they pick up Ernest Jones, a linebacker out of South Carolina. I, I really liked this pick. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I do too. Um, and uh, that's, uh, you know, you, you talk about, oh, is it a, a luxury or whatever? Um, I, I think that's, you know, I, going back to last year, I thought they needed to, to draft an inside linebacker. And, and, I, and I said that, and I was surprised when they didn't, um, other than, you know, late in the seventh round with Clay Johnston, who didn't, who didn't stick. Um, I, I like this for a couple reasons. Um, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot about Ernest Jones, but just from uh, kind of what we what we did learn here over over the last you know few hours, couple of days here, um, he's a he's a good stout uh, middle linebacker. Uh, I, it, I, it seems to me he's a guy who can communicate very well. And mm-hmm. I don't know how all of this is going to shake out. I mean, they have some other options there. And I don't want to minimize, you know, guys like Micah Kaiser or Kenny Young or, or Troy Reader, um, you know, Traven Howard, uh, somebody like that. Um, they, they've got some options there. But this guy seems to me is somebody who can be in the mold of a player who can come in and really take charge of a defense. He's obviously a great tackler. But moreover, you know, again, they, they lose John Johnson. And I know we spent so much time talking last year about what a great communicator he was and, and how he took charge mm-hmm. uh, of, of that defense and, uh, you know, lining pe- helping line people up, that sort of thing. Uh, that's an important role. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be one position uh, who, who fills that. But I really get a feel that maybe Ernest Jones is a guy who could step in, maybe not right away. Maybe it's not week one or even week eight, or maybe even it's not this year. Uh, but but I, I feel like he's a guy who could eventually step in and really kind of take charge like that. So I liked the pick and I like adding depth to that position. Like I said, I think I thought it was something the Rams should have addressed last year. And uh, I, I was really, I, th- I thought that was a, a good mm-hmm. kind of practical pick. Yeah, I was talking to a player uh, a few weeks ago, and he said, "You and I'm paraphrasing here." He's like, "You guys have no idea how much traffic John Johnson sorted through. Like, right. that defense is complicated. It is complicated, and a lot of bodies are rotating, and a lot of people are moving in and out, and they're in different sub packages in and out. And there's a lot going on um, and they're, they're pattern matching and then they're showing one look and then rotating down into a different one. And it's a, it's a complicated defense. And when the Rams entered this spring, knowing that they lot, they were going to lose John Johnson. They really were excited about Jordan Fuller and about Terrell Burgess at safety because one of the, like they keep their safeties on the field the whole game. And it's very possible that one of those guys calls the defense next year. But you also need to have that sort of visionary in the middle of things at linebacker. And and we know from watching last year that the Rams usually keep one of their linebackers on the field for most of the time, but they rotate through the tandem. So they kind of have them in pairs. Like Troy Reader and Kenny Young, ultimately, Mike and Kaiser dealt with some injury stuff, but you'd see Troy Reader stay in for a lot and then you'd see Kenny Young come in and a compliment and sort of orbit the middle in that regard. And so with Ernest Jones, he's to me not the orbit player. He's a player who stays on the field the whole time. And and so I think that this is a really interesting pick because I was texting a lot of people about this one um, because I, I frankly, I mean, I watched a little South Carolina football when I was back in, in Charlotte. And the, the, those guys are always fun to watch, regardless of whether they're good or not. Um, and, you know, I noticed Ernest Jones and he's, he's like, he was a heck of a player at South Carolina, led the team in tackles for two years. And 
just a really knows where he's supposed to be. But I'm like, okay, you know, why, why specifically this player? You know, Jabril Cox is on the board, and I think he's one of those real lateral movers that people were excited about because the Rams had some issues being stretched too, too horizontal by teams like the 49ers, um, ironically. Um, right, right. And, and then players getting to the second level because they were having some issues at the point of contact because um, it took them too long sometimes to get into position when they're getting stretched horizontal and you can't take the right tackle angle and then a player can get to the second and third level and then you have some problems. Ernest Jones, um, he just like pops people. <laughs> right. Like the other thing that I thought was really interesting in talking to people about this pick was a couple of, value- of evaluators – in the Rams building were saying, listen, this guy's got like a GPS traffic, like something, a tracking GPS data in his brain yeah. in terms of how he sees the field. And someone put it as like, he sees the, the, the quote unquote geometry of every play just extraordinarily well. And this sounded to me like a player who he ran real slow. He tested real slow. He had like a four seven forty, and that that dropped him right. But he tackles incredibly well. And when the Rams, this is what it sounded like to me. And I'll have to you know get this confirmed on the record. But like it sounded to me like this was a player who they also matched that GPS data to when they got it from South Carolina in order to um, find out how quickly he got into position. Not necessarily how fast he can run in a straight line, but how quickly he can get into position because you factor in the navigation of all that traffic in the middle of the field. And that was what really stuck out to them. And the person he reminded me of when there was this chatter about him was Jordan Fuller because Mm. the same exact things – were right. what I kept hearing about Jordan Fuller before he made his way up the roster and ended up being their starting safety last year. And so I'm not I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm not saying Ernest is going to be the starter. I'm just saying that we got to keep an eye on this guy and I am very intrigued by that similar conversation that was being had about him um in the evaluation process. Yeah, it's a great point Jordan and and really speaks to a lot of the great work that you've done in in finding out about the Rams draft evaluations and things like that to where it's not you don't you don't look at the traditional measurements and that sort of you know straight line speed or you know whatever maybe vertical jump or what there, there's there's so many more practical football measurements that, that you can make now and the Rams have been very good about identifying those sort of things like what you know it's not it's not just having somebody in a laboratory and and you know measuring them by a certain set of numbers no 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 it's it's when we put this player on our field in our defense what kind of skills is he going to bring? And I think that was a huge part of what uh, they did with Jordan Fuller. And, and it seems like they've carried it over with with somebody like Ernest Jones. So you're right. You may, you might look at the measurables or certain skills and be like, oh, well, this this other guy, you know, is so much faster or bigger or has more tackles or whatever. But that's not really important. It, it doesn't really matter so much if it doesn't fit within the context of of what the Rams are, are, are looking for. So again, we, we don't know. And it's a, we don't know any more about that than, than we know about Tutu Atwell or anything else, but it, it certainly makes sense. And, and I like adding at that position at this point in time. I, I think he's a player who could have an impact. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm just excited to see all these guys um, get into camp and like the Rams opted out of uh, the mandatory or the, excuse me, the voluntary stuff this spring, which, um, you know, for health and safety purposes, I totally understand. 
But the rookies will still, as as it stands now, which this is yet to be determined, but my understanding is as it stands now, we'll still get a chance to see some of the rookies possibly um, in a rookie minicamp pending safety and NFL protocols and all of that. So I'm excited to see how some of these guys look. Rich, I want to go round by round. Obviously, the Rams did not have a six-round pick, but on day three, things started to get real – you know, rapid fire almost. Yeah. And, and Les made, uh, Les made a couple of trades. He traded, uh, 117 and 209 to Jacksonville for 130, 170 and 249. And then he also, then he ended up trading 170 to Houston for 174 and 233. So let's get into their fourth round picks. They, they picked up Bobby Brown, the defensive lineman, Robert Rochelle, and of course, Jacob Harris, who we already talked about a little bit. Yeah, right. I, I think I, I like Harris as a player. I, I don't know that at that position it was the most practical pick. I think they might have got a little bit starry-eyed just in terms of they they obviously really, really liked him. Uh, I, I know you know what a great pro day he had and things like that. So look, I mean, you, you can't argue with the team if they if they really love a player and they think he's he's going to have an impact. Well, it's a fourth round pick. Um, you know, not going to not going to you know tear down their entire draft uh, uh, based on that. But uh, the other two picks I thought were were very practical and, and and understandable. I mean, you bring in Bobby Brown at, at number 117 and uh, you look at that defensive line depth chart and they they did need somebody there. I mean, losing Michael Brockers, uh, that, that's, a, that's a big loss. And this guy is not going to step in for Michael Brockers right away. But uh, what he does is gives you that depth, you know, to potentially behind uh, be behind a guy like Ashawn Robinson um, so that, uh, you know, you, you, you have a little bit more depth across the board there. They really didn't have a whole lot. They had some undrafted free agents uh, back there uh, kind of filling in the back end like Eric Banks and Marquise Copeland, guys like that. Greg Gaines is there still uh, also. But uh, I think adding to that depth, uh, was was very important, and and I totally understood that pick. Robert Rochelle and Jordan. I know you're, you're probably going to want to speak on this one too, so I don't want to take all the all the thunder here. Very very intriguing pick. I like that pick uh, a lot. Uh, just that that's a, that's almost like a quintessential fourth round pick uh, for me because it's not somebody who was going to go high, um, but it seems like such a high ceiling there. And and based on the Ram the way the Rams play, uh, it seems like a guy who could really play his way into a role. They did need some cornerback depth there after losing uh, Troy Hill specifically. So it, it fits in terms of a, a depth need. And uh, But Jordan, tell us a little bit more about this guy because I know you got some insight into him. And, and I think this is one of the more fascinating uh, Rams picks of this draft. Yeah. Robert Rochelle was one of my two favorite picks of this draft. And um, you will not be shocked to know both of them were defensive players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little biased in that regard, I will admit it. Um, but Robert Rochelle, I am fascinated by. I think that he goes on day two if he had not gone to Central Arkansas, a smaller school. Um, the Rams have really been trying to find an edge in terms of their evaluations of, of smaller school prospects, particularly as some of these COVID limitations hit because um, they just feel like there are players to be found there who can develop against NFL talent. And um, other, obviously other, like some other teams just aren't 
doing that. And everyone has their own different way of of doing those things. But the Rams really felt like maybe we could find an edge really digging into some of these smaller school guys. Robert Rochelle, I really, really like because he's coverage versatile. He's very, very fast. Um, he seems to me, I'm, you know, in reading some profiles about him um, and reading some some analyst take on him, um, he's just very moldable in terms of what they hmm. will want him to do. And I think the ceiling that they would hope, like their highest point for him, would be to have a same sort of development trajectory that Darius Williams had, who obviously will at, be around for at least one more year. But then after that, we'll test, maybe test free agency to see if he can get number one cornerback money because he is playing like a number one corner. So, you know, the Rams obviously want to try to get something done with Darius Williams, but in the off chance that they can't, they would not have anybody able to start across from Jalen Ramsey, and that would be a huge problem. So I think that this is really exciting as a pick because he not only does a short-term, long-term thing for them because he could potentially play as a rookie in the rotation because they rotate their corner so much, especially when Jalen Ramsey moves, um, that I think he is really, really exciting. I love his frame, 6'2", 195, and that's an actual listing. That's not maybe an overestimation. <laughs> um and I just, he is so fast. He has just got highly athletic traits. He is really, really smart, um, sees the field well. And I just think, and, and he could, he's coverage versatile, but I also think he could play inside and outside. Um, so he could be positional, position versatile as well. Um, he is one, like I said, he's one of my two favorite picks um, of this entire draft class for the Rams. And I like the Bobby Brown pick. I think you kind of maybe have to go D-line there, especially with some of the guys who are falling down the board. Bobby Brown, I was texting an evaluator. Bobby Brown was described to me as a quote-unquote ass kicker. So that's always a good sign. Um <laughs> He's he's gonna he's gonna compete, and you know while I think that their their first level will be set with Aaron Donald and Sebastian Joseph Day and Ashawn Robinson, like Bobby Brown could be on a good track and putting him in with Eric Henderson, um, who it sounds like had a lot of input, uh, rightfully so, into this draft process. Um, putting him in with that coach is, is just gonna be great for Bobby Brown, I think. Um, and then Jacob Harris, I will say one thing that I am sure nobody will overreact to at all. <laughs> Right. During his interview with media, Jacob Harris said that he really loved Matthew Stafford because he always loved watching how Matthew Stafford threw the ball up to Megatron. Right. I'm sure no one will overreact to that at all. And that's <laughs> let's move on to the fifth round. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned uh, Ernest Brown, and uh, he was one of the highlights of of the the draft for me. Um, interesting. Interesting pick there, Jordan, because uh, I think we knew they they needed to add some edge rush. Uh, depth a, a, at some point, and that that to me is a little and and again this is this is an entire thing of pick point, and you, you don't know where the Rams draft board was falling or, or you know what was there, but um, to me a little bit interesting that they waited that long, pick number one seventy four um, for for Ernest Brown because uh, and I know he has a little bit of positional versatility um, as well, but that that depth that they have there, obviously they bring back Leonard Floyd, that's important. Uh, Obo Okoronkwo is a guy who's been in and out, uh, both with effectiveness and injuries, that sort of thing. We've talked a lot about Terrell Lewis, 
from last year and hoping that that he can stay healthy. Um, so it's it's um, I, I don't know what what do you think about that one? That this one to me is going to be kind of one of those hinge picks. I think when we look at it a couple of years from now, like either uh, Ernest Brown is going to end up being a contributor, and you're going to look at that and go, oh my goodness, you know what a great great pick that was at number one seventy four, or maybe we're going to look back on it and go, oh gosh, they probably should have taken an edge rusher, um, you know, either in the in the third round or fourth round. So how how do you see that uh, from that perspective? Yeah, so here's what I think the Ernest Brown pick is. I think the Ernest Brown pick is if is is Morgan Fox essentially, mm. except Morgan Fox who you're trying to get to turn into Morgan Fox in 2 years instead of 4. Mm. Does that make sense? That's great. That's yeah, a great way to put it. That's yeah. what I think Ernest Brown is going to be for them because he's going to he's he can set an edge. Like he can I think cuz he He's a maybe a little bit bigger framed than some of the the sort of length speed rushers that you would see on the edge in a three four, and so really had a lot of people had projected him in a in a in a four three. But what that means is he can rush outside in like Morgan Fox did this last year. Um, but but they could have maybe used Morgan Fox at that level of development that he reached last year. They maybe could have used that one or two years earlier. And that's what I think Ernest Brown will be for them. Um, because he can, like, I think he will be able to defend the run well for them on the edge. Um, I think that he can rotate into some of these sub packages. We know that they're in their sub packages most of the time. Um, and I think they want someone physical to not only free up um, Leonard Floyd on the opposite side, someone real physical who can occupy, but hello, someone really physical on the outside so you can not only free up Leonard Floyd, but also Aaron Donald. And if you're only having speed rushers, like we saw this struggle a little bit with Samson Ebicom last year. If you only have a speed rusher opposite Leonard Floyd, like sure, maybe Leonard Floyd can, Floyd can get free because Aaron Donald's got two guys on him or three. Um, but then you, you need someone really physical to then take one of Aaron Donald's guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, it's kind of like that math, that mathematical equation that Sean is always talking about on the defensive line. That's why I, I really, really like this pick. Um, and I, uh, again, I think he, he, they want him to be Morgan Fox, but expedited development, um, in, in maybe one or two years instead of the four. Uh, and that's a great way to put it, Jordan. And if that happens, I think that's a win. When when I yeah. talk about this being a hinge pick, like if if they if he becomes Morgan Fox in two years, I think that that becomes a great fifth round pick. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, so they don't have a sixth round pick. So we're just sitting there waiting. At this point, I ate half of the sandwich that have been sitting out on my <laughs> on my kitchen counter um, since early that morning just getting cold. Um, and I always forget the draft is like, sometimes it goes really slow and then other times it goes crazy fast. So that's right. when I was just kind of texting people and, and chilling. And then they pick up in with their first pick in the seventh round, they pick up Jake Funk, the running back out of Maryland. Um, and people did a double take at the position. He's a, you know, obviously right. being a running back, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be playing a lot of running back for them. I think that this is a total special teams pick, Rich. Yeah. And again, this is where you get to the point, like I, I mentioned kind of at the start of the, the podcast here, where people are going, why are you drafting a running back instead of an offensive lineman? Well, this is not, you know, necessarily where you're, you're picking for positional 
uh, depth. It might happen down the line, and it certainly has happened over the years, where a seventh rounder can you know play his way into into a rotation at, at his a natural position. But you're really looking for uh, these guys who are going to be special teamers at that point, and um, you know certainly fits the mold there. And who knows? I mean, maybe you put him out there in some kind of uh, package at a, a fullback or, or whatever it might be. But this is a, it's a total special teams play. And and honestly, Jordan, when I when I saw you know when the Rams start trading back and and uh, you know pick up two seventh round picks, it's like well they're not drafting for need at that point. They're not going through their list and going okay now we need another uh, linebacker or we need another safety. So we have to look here in the seventh round for one of those. No no no. You're you're looking for guys who can you know maybe get on the field as, as special teamers at that point. So yeah, um, c- certainly certainly understand it from that perspective. And we talked about uh, Ben Scro Scroronic. We're going to go with that one. Uh, <laughs> Big Ben. Big Ben is, uh, I think, what we're going to call him from now on. But uh, Jordan, I have a feeling, I have this strange feeling that the other player you might be interested in is a uh, Mr. Chris Garrett out of Concordia University in St. Paul. Yes, this is my second tied for my favorite pick of the draft. So Robert Rochelle is obviously one of my favorite picks of this draft class. Chris Garrett is a favorite pick of mine in this draft class. I I don't know if I could really explain it, but like sometimes in the past five years, six years covering the NFL, I've gotten these gut feelings about guys. And I just have learned that if I get that feeling, then I probably should keep an eye on this guy. And Chris Garrett is one of those guys that I just started getting that little gurgle going. It wasn't from the sandwich either. Like <laughs> I just started, I just started getting that little gurgle. And and I think that you know when you first hear his name, most people went, "Who the hell is that?" And he's not even listed in some of these top three hundred prospects lists um, that you see for for various places. But first, let me tell you. So so Chris Garrett, um, he had offers, walk on offers. Um, when he was ready to go to college, including from Wisconsin. But he explained to us that at the time, his living situation was such that there's he just wouldn't be able to afford it. You know, walk-ons pay for their own way in school, essentially. And that was just not something that was feasible for him. Another reason why, uh, side note, we need to overhaul the entire NCAA system, but that's another conversation for another time. Um, but his frame is exactly what Raheem Morris wants. He's 6'4", about 250. Um, That's exactly what Raheem Morris is looking for in a speed rusher. Um, He has a great toolkit that can be developed. Um, He's really fast. He's got a great athletic profile. Went to Concordia St. Paul, where um, the things he did to quarterbacks in that league were just mean. (laughs) Like, it was just not... I would have I would have been like, oh my God, this guy again, seeing him turn the corner on a tackle, like, oh my gosh, he had five sacks and eleven tackles for loss in one of his games. Um, like this dude's a monster. And I think that there's a lot of possibility here. And yeah, he was not playing against FBS talent, but I think that's okay. Like, I think the traits and the tools are there. The Rams really are leaning on their coaching staff in this regard. Um, and I think he's someone who you could try out in like a speed rush package before ultimately seeing what he can be for you. And, and, you know, you hope that he can contribute because I think that, you know, you could, you could have maybe unearthed a gem late in this, in this draft with, with a player like him. Um, I don't know. I can't explain it. I'm just really excited about this guy. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic seventh round pick because there's, I mean, he's number 252. Again, how many, I think there were two, 258, 259 picks in the draft. Um, so you, you're basically at the end. I mean, it, it is the lowest risk of picks that you can possibly make. And and why wouldn't you go out and, and get somebody like that? I, I mean, and, and no, certainly no disrespect to, to Chris, but I mean, if it doesn't work out, you, you didn't exactly put a lot of capital into it. Uh, but if it does work out, then my goodness, you have somebody with a potentially super high ceiling who could get on the field for you at, at some point. I mean, I, I look back to uh, the, the. This is not a straight line comparison, but I mean, when when the Rams signed Corey Littleton as an undrafted uh, free agent, and and then obviously he you know blossomed, and he was a, he was a project. He needed to grow into his role uh, quite a bit, but he did over over the span of of three or four years, and became a very valuable player, and and got a nice contract from the Las Vegas Raiders um, out of it. So if you can get a player like that, who you just look at and go, yeah, you know what, this guy. It's not an NFL player right now, but he's got those skills that we can really kind of uh, do something with. And I, I think that's a fantastic uh, seventh round pick. Again, rather than just, you know, drafting a, a, a safety for the sake of drafting a safety or drafting a, a defensive lineman for the, for the sake of it. Why not? You know, it's like, Jordan, I know how much you love fantasy football. So I'm, I'm going to make this this analogy for you, but what it's like pivot. when you it's like when you, <laughs> you I was can just in a go good ahead. Mood. And, I said a good mood talking about Chris Garrett, and then you just tanked it. Rich. Yeah, sorry. You can go ahead and put your headphones down for the next thirty seconds or so here. But it's like when you get to the you know the last round or the last round or two of your fantasy draft, and like there's a, there's a rookie out there who you're like, yeah, you know what, this rookie isn't going to probably start in week one, but I'm going to, I'm going to draft and stash this guy because I think by, you know, by week 12, he could be in there and he could be the lead running back or he could be the top receiver, or the quarterback, whatever it may be like that to me is the seventh round. It's, it's like, Hey, you know what? We're going to get a jump on some of these undrafted free agents. We're going to use a, a draft pick on this guy. You know, we, we know there's a potential high ceiling there and, and we're going to work with this guy. So that, that's why I love that pick. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know much about him. I'm not going to claim that I've scouted him or, or anything like that but uh just just the idea of it and the potential the potential of him uh is, is something that i thought made that a, a really good pick yeah and i love that they didn't have to take a kicker so that's right <laughs> and they already have three punters so yeah. they weren't going to draft three, another punter yeah. three punters two long snappers and two kickers uh by the and way a partridge those, and a pear tree yeah, yeah. for yeah. those keeping score at home and about a million receivers so right um <laughs> yeah i think that this was an interesting class again a lot a lot of things to dig in deeper on um and i hope you guys will follow me in the coming days. Uh, the draft is over, but I'm still going to have some of uh, some columns coming out over the next two days, including a big episode of The Pile uh, that I have missed dearly oh. without being in season. And it's going to dig into all these different segments of the draft and hopefully can get some extra insight now that these guys have maybe had a, a day to sleep it off. Um, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you guys um, some some interesting stuff this week. And Rich... Um, we are still running my favorite thing in the world, which is a discount. If you subscribe to The Athletic via the 11 Personnel Podcast, you always get a discount. Um, we miss you guys when we're not talking to you every week, and I know we can't wait until football season comes back. Um, Rich, I just uh, I know that we all have just so appreciated um, just – watching this podcast blossom over these last <laughs> over this last year and I know that I'm I'm really really happy to have spent my last year um with all of you guys 
Yeah, Jordan, what a what a fantastic addition you've you've been. I know I see the the Twitter mentions and you know people actually asking now like when is the podcast coming out and and I think that's a uh, that's just such a huge uh, you know tribute to you, Jordan. It, it really is, and and what you've brought uh, to to not only to the podcast but to our uh, to our beat coverage. And uh, again, encourage everybody if you haven't subscribed already, please do. Jordan did, and, and really, I, I put all of our, our beat writers of The Athletic, just a tremendous amount of work, not only over this last week, but uh, since since the end of the season. I mean, they have been putting out uh, content that is just unmatched. And, and I, I don't say that as any disrespect to any of our competition or anything like that. Uh, but uh, the, the, the amount of work and the quality of work that has come out of, of, of Jordan and, and our other beat writers is just extraordinary. So I really do encourage you to uh, to check it all out and find a story that you want to subscribe to or go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel and sign up there. And of course, follow along always with Jordan at Jordan Rodrigue on Twitter. You can get me at Rich underscore Hammond. And thank you, everybody, for all of the great comments that you leave on Apple Podcasts and things like that. We really do appreciate it. A lot of fun. And Jordan, I know, it, look, the, the offseason is going to go fast. We have a lot to talk about still, a lot of position battles, a lot of things that are going to happen. So we're, we're, we're not wrapping up here, right? We're, we're just getting started. Always be talking about centers, Abtac. That's the new Abtac. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. Make sure you catch up with us, uh, all of our content over at The Athletic. And as always, uh, so appreciated having you guys today. Um, Rich, thanks for talking draft with me. I know you're uh, I know you're super busy with uh, with hockey and, and whatnot. Um, I know that we miss you, but I'm glad you're, <laughs> glad you're getting to be off Twitter a little bit. That must be nice. Um, guys, we have a lot of fun guests coming this offseason, um, so keep it here. So don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We're going to do another mailbag episode here coming up soon, and thanks as always for listening. Music.